the job is the exact same and the products and services have changed. So if companies focus on their customer's job, they're more likely to succeed. And if they don't focus on their customer's job and they focus on their competitor's products, they're likely to fail. Hello, and welcome back to the Business Growth Accelerator. This is Isari, your host, and the person you're listening to is Jay Haynes. We are going to talk about a fascinating, fascinating concept called job to be done, which is really the essence of understanding your client needs, which by itself is the essence of what really drives business growth. So if you want to go back to the origin and really understand what can drive growth in your business and how to build a roadmap for your business that will feel the needs and the wants of your ultimate clients, you do not want to miss a second of this episode. And very likely, it's one of those you're going to listen to twice. Growing a business is tough. Believe me, I know. I'm a serial entrepreneur with three startups behind me. One went public, the second busted because of bad decisions by the CEO. That was me, by the way. And the third grew to $100 million in sales as part of a larger company that got sold. It took me 20 years to learn how to do it right, but now I'm on a quest to get you there much faster. I'm hosting senior business leaders, entrepreneurs, and world-class experts. Together, we search for gold, strategies, systems, processes, and practical tips that you can implement to grow your business. You will hear fascinating business stories, really funny moments, and lots of actionable business tips. Welcome to the Business Growth Accelerator. Hello and welcome back to the Business Growth Accelerator. This is Isar Metis, your host, and I'm super, super excited today. We're going to talk about something that's very fundamental to a business and especially a more uh, stable and that has been running for a while business. And if you're like me and you really like processes and long-term thinking and strategy, you're going to absolutely love our conversation today. So my guest today is Jay Haynes, and he's the founder and CEO of Thrive. And even though he is a Harvard MBA graduate, he can't spell very well. So Thrive is spelled T-H-R-V without the vowels (laughs) in it for whatever reason. But it's the first and as far as we know, only job to be done software. And if you ask yourself, what is job to be done? Well, this is going to be the core of our conversation today. And again, if you're anything like me that likes systems and processes and strategy, you're going to find this absolutely fascinating. Some of the clients of Thrive are eBay and Twitter and American Express and Oracle and Target. So if they find it something that's helpful, you can understand it works at any scale. It's not like a thing for like little startups and so on. But I again, you'll see in the conversation that this really is applicable for any company. Now, if those names of companies doesn't impress you enough, then I will tell you that Jay has been the CEO of two other companies. He's an adjacent professor for MBA uh, students. And like I said before, he's an, he has an MBA from Harvard. So I think you will find this conversation very, very interesting. And if I need to frame it in a short way of what we're going to talk about is, let's say you are a good business leader and you spent the time and the research and the resources to build a detailed roadmap for your product, for your service, for your company. How confident are you that that roadmap will actually lead to company growth, which is the reason why you're doing this? This question is what job to be done methodology comes to solve. So with this, I can tell you I'm personally 
A, honored and be very, very excited to welcome Jay Haynes to the Business Growth Accelerator. Jay, thank you so, so much for being with me today. Thank you, Isar. Thanks for having me. Jay, again, like I said, this is not your first rodeo. So what did you do before? How did you get to starting Thrive? Start wherever you want in your business career. Yeah, that's great. So I started my career a long time ago in 1991, uh, actually in the finance industry. And we were buying companies and every company is trying to create equity value at the end of the day and serving all of its stakeholders. And back then in the early 90s, you could buy companies with a lot of debt and cut costs and you know create equity value. It wasn't that much of a, you know, it wasn't interesting. <laughs> but we did buy some interesting companies. One of them was Steinway & Sons, the piano company. Hmm. And that got me thinking, Steinway is what I now consider to be literally the least innovative company on the planet. <laughs> and they, they're literally selling this product they invented 150 years ago. And yeah. that's they kind of pride themselves on that. And so growth and innovation were not part of their DNA, of course. And, and so that got me questioning, what is this innovation process? Why do people buy new products and services? And so I went to work as a uh, product manager at Microsoft back when I was in business school, thinking, okay, these are they we're going to have all the answers here. Even back in business school, I was looking for the answers, and there wasn't really a good systematic, as you said, Isar, you know, process-oriented way of figuring this stuff out. And the state of the art in the late '90s wasn't very good. So then I went and ran a couple startups backed by Silicon Alley, sorry, Silicon Valley, uh, Sand Hill Road investors who'd invested in you know hugely successful companies, and I thought these VCs would have all the answers as well. Not surprisingly, they didn't really have the answers either. And so about 10 years ago, I just had been restudying Clay Christensen's work, the famous professor who was most known for disruption, but really spent the last part of his career focused on jobs to be done. And, and I just thought this is a much better way of thinking about customers. And ultimately, every company is serving its customers. And the basic idea behind jobs to be done is deceptively simple. It's that people actually aren't even buying products. What they're doing is they're hiring those products to get a job done. And we use the terminology of jobs to be done now, but basically people are trying to achieve goals in their lives. <laughs> and those goals are jobs to be done. So, And that's true for any market, consumer markets, business markets, and medical markets. So for example, if you're a new parent, one of the jobs you need to get done is get your baby to sleep through the night. <laughs> if you're a you know busy professional, you need to get to a destination on time, which is why we hire Apple and Google Maps. If you're a human resources executive, you need to optimize your workforce. You know, If you are in sales, you need to acquire customers. If you are a medical professional and you're a cardiovascular surgeon, you need to restore artery blood flow. So the basic idea is you can take any market that's traditionally defined by a product, like the iPod market, for example, and you can redefine that market using your customer's job. In other words, the goal they're trying to achieve. And we love the iPod example because it's, you know, it's classic, but no one wants an iPod, right? What they want is to create a mood with music. And how we've done that is has changed dramatically from you know a string quartet to record players to eight tracks and cassettes and CDs and then iPods and and then iTunes and then streaming services. I mean, I've rebought my record my music collection you know multiple times throughout my life, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of crazy. But the job is the exact same, and the products and services have changed. So if companies focus on their customer's job, they're more likely to succeed. 
And if they don't focus on their customer's job and they focus on their competitor's products, they're likely to fail. And the Microsoft Zune is a great example of that. You know, they launched the Zune thinking they would take share from Apple. And of course, it was a huge failure because no one wants an iPod. They want to create a mood with music. And the Zune didn't get it done any differently. So that's the core of the idea and a little bit of my background. I think it's really fascinating, right? The way you frame it, that people don't care about the product. And a lot of us, especially these days that, you know, the marketers, the good marketers and companies focus on the product, right? You, you use an iPhone as a great example. Most kids today, if you ask them what they want for their birthday, they're going to say an iPhone. They're not going to say a cell phone. They're not going to say, oh, I want a Xiaomi. No, <laughs> they want an iPhone, which is very much the product itself. And yet, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, right? Apple have Apple Music, and they had an iPod before because they're trying to serve the need of their customers. So it's kind of like an interesting disconnect between what the companies should think and how they actually should sell their services, but I'm sure we'll get to that later on. So, okay, so I think now we kind of generally understand the concept, but what is really job to be done? Is it, is it a methodology? Is it a system? Is it a framework? Like, what is it? Yeah, it's all of those. So it is, it's a framework and a process and a method of identifying unmet customer needs in a market. So of course, if you're going to innovate and if you're going to accelerate your growth, you know, you might be on a growth path that's you know 10%, 20%, whatever. But if you're really going to accelerate your growth, meaning double your growth rate, for example, and that's where you really create enormous value is that acceleration then you have to understand where your customers' unmet needs are. Where are they struggling today? And if you look at uh, the current products in the market, they're not going to tell you where your customers are struggling. So this is why things like net promoter scores, you know, which companies use a lot, they're interesting, but they don't tell you whether or not your roadmaps can accelerate your growth. Because you could look at NPS scores for iPods and everybody said, yes, I love my iPod. I would recommend it to all my friends. Okay, but that doesn't represent a growth opportunity. That just tells you the current state of the world that people like their iPods. Okay, great. Well, let's say you want to compete with the iPod. Well, how do you figure out where customers are struggling? And that's when you then take the job, which is to create a mood with music, and you break that job down into a series of steps and needs. And we don't have to get into too much detail, but the first part of the job done process is understanding everything about a job. And it's really fascinating, but even something seemingly as simple as creating a mood of music is extraordinarily complex. The jobs have generally between 15 and 20 different steps that a customer has to go through and generally about 100 different needs. And needs are essentially the variables that, that requ are required to get a job done. So I'll give you an example. You know, We all okay. hire Apple and Google Maps to get to a destination on time. Sure. And if you really break down what it takes to get to a destination on time, there are things like estimate the departure time, prepare uh, the routes, plan the stops, you know, travel to the destination, reset the route as needed, take an alternative route if required, you know, monitor how, if you're going to be on there on time, park the vehicle, walk to the stop. It's really, really complex. And there are about 15 different steps and about a hundred different needs. And if anybody wants to see this in detail, they can download all this from our site. We have examples of this. So, so that's the first step is really understand the complexity of what your customers need to get done. That, that is the first part of the process. Then the second part is figuring out where they struggle today. 
where are they struggling? Because if you, you've, as a company, if you want to satisfy the unmet needs of your customer, you need to know what they are and where to prioritize. So if you were going to try and beat Apple and Google Maps, for example, do people struggle with estimating the departure time or do they struggle with planning their stops or do they struggle with parking the vehicle, right? You'd want to analyze that to say, is there enough of a struggle with that job and are people willing to pay for something new that would help them get the job done better? And that's the starting point. That is what you would call understanding your customer's problem. I think it's a very interesting way, right? A lot of companies do this today by doing quote-unquote market research, right? They interview people and they go and look at, like you said, they go and look at what the competitors do. And you're saying, forget about this for a minute. Try to analyze the problem, especially if it's a problem you know, right? Because you'll usually be in a business that you kind of like understand the business and understand the wireframe. You said, break this down to the most granular level of the need, not what other people are doing, not what the customers are going to tell you, because going back to Henry Ford, right, we would have gotten a, a faster horse versus, <laughs> versus, right. uh, versus a car. So same thing with the iPhone, right? The iPhone would have never existed if it would, it would have been pure, oh, I'm asking people what they want, because nobody knew this was possible. So I think it's a very, very interesting way to look at the problem. What does your company do? So is it a service? Is it a, I know it's a software company. So what exactly does Thrive provide as part of that framework in order to identify this, as you describe, a very complex problem? Yeah, that's a great question. So first and foremost, we are a software company that enables teams to do this type of work because Jobs to be Done creates a lot of data. You can, you can look at multiple customer jobs. They each have about 100 needs, you know, 15 steps or so. You can look at multiple different segmentation cuts and profiling data. You know, all of a sudden, you're starting to talk about thousands and thousands of data points. Uh, so you could try to do that in a PowerPoint presentation or a spreadsheet, <laughs> <laughs> and people do. And we did a long time ago. But the reason we started the company about eight years ago was we recognized it's better to have a tool to help teams use this stuff and to adopt it. So you can think about it, you know, if you're if you're working at a software company and you've got Jira as your tool and you've got lots of stories and epics, yep. Thrive and Jobs Done comes before Jira because before you even come up with any ideas, you want to have a really good assessment of what your product strategy is going to be from your customer's perspective. Not what your product does, but what unmet needs are you going to target that are going to likely generate your growth? So having a tool to do this is the you know our core mission. Now, on top of that, we also provide training in how to do all this stuff. And we do provide services. So if people want us to help with their customer research, if they want to help with the surveys, if they have segmentation, the product strategy, road mapping, competitive analysis, messaging, all that. And the key is that all of those activities your companies are doing are centered on your customer. And companies today, they talk about this, right? They want to be customer-centric. They want to yeah. be customer-focused. But what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so our tool helps you. Your customer is just the center of every activity. If you're going to invest in your roadmap, as you mentioned, you saw at the beginning, you know, what is your confidence that that investment in your roadmap is going to turn into accelerated revenue growth? That is the key question for every executive, for every board, for every shareholder, every stakeholder. Is the company on the roadmap like BlackBerry, where you're headed to disaster? Or are you on the path of the iPhone, where you're going to be a multi-trillion dollar company? 
And the key, and part of what Jousey done is there's a risk mitigation system. So before you pour all that money into your roadmap, make sure that you have a pretty good assessment that you're on the right path. And you know, another famous quote that we love is from Frank Lloyd Wright. And he said, you know, famously, you can fix it in the drafting room with an eraser, or you can fix it on the construction site with a sledgehammer. <laughs> and you can think of it as the drafting room is before you start putting anything in JIRA or getting your developers or firing up your manufacturing, right? The drafting room is where you're still in the concept level. And that's what our tool helps you do is make sure you're doing all this work up front to make sure your team agrees your customers are really excited about it. You understand their problems. And then ultimately, when you get out to the construction site, you don't have to use a sledgehammer. I love this so much. I, I want to touch on two points, kind of like from my point of view, that connect very interesting to two very different points in my head. But I think it will help me explain this to myself and then hopefully to other people as well. I was very lucky and fortunate to work in a startup within a larger company. So we didn't call it an incubator, but in reality, that's what it was, which means you have a lot of budget and a lot of flexibility because you're part of a bigger company and yet you're a startup that can kind of do whatever you want. And we kind of, we wanted to rewrite the technology that we were using from scratch, literally started with a blank sheet of paper. And when I say we were lucky, we were unlucky because we could not find a CTO in the time we wanted. So we were kind of stuck, but in reality, what it helped us do is look back on our assumptions again and again and again and again and again, six months of looking at the real needs of our business, which we knew very well, and looking at them from different angles. And we kept on changing and adapting and fine-tuning the needs before we ever started writing code, which took, again, six months, which was six months late to what I promised my management things will happen. But the reality was it was extremely successful once we started developing it because we understood what is it that we actually need to do versus if we would have started with the very first version, the MVP we drafted when we started looking for a CTO, it wouldn't have been as efficient in the work because we would have developed other stuff that may not have been that impactful. So that's number one. And again, it's, I never analyzed it the way you just described it, but in reality, we were doing exactly what you were explaining. The other thing, I don't know, are you familiar with Play Bigger or Chris, Christopher Lockhead? Oh, category? So he talks a lot about the way that companies become successful is by creating new categories that will help solve a problem that you know, a big group of customers either don't know they have or they don't know there's a good enough solution for it. And really what you're describing is the how to do category design properly in the first step, which I've, maybe is the biggest gap I ever heard about category design is the how part of it. So phenomenal. I absolutely love this. So what I want to do now is I want to make this kind of like, you know, job to be done 101. You've already touched a little bit on the first two steps. Feel free to dive into them deeper. But if not, if I want to implement this in my company today, whether it's an established company or I'm just getting started, what do I need to do? What are the steps? What resources do I need to bring in in order to be a part of this process in order to really put myself on a place where I'm, I'll be heading in the right direction, which is basically what this does. Yeah, that's great. So the first step I would say is getting agreement with your team that you want to assess your real growth opportunities. Okay. That if if you have extremely high confidence in your roadmap and you think we're on the right path, that's that's fantastic. And 
and companies do succeed, of course. And I think the best companies are doing what we now formalize as jobs to be done. Like you're saying, Isar, in your example, you spent those six months and you really understood your customer, not from what product you're going to build, but just like, what are they struggling with? That's, that's essential. So if you're going to really adopt jobs to be done, the first thing is get your team to recognize that this is a, this is a valuable activity to undertake because it, it's going to mitigate your risk and ultimately end up in accelerated growth. And that's, that's an executive level conversation. We work with everybody from CEOs and board members down to product managers, and that's okay. You can start anywhere in your organization with that, but you really want to start to socialize this that, hey, perhaps we can find a better way to be more successful consistently. So and who, that, yeah. who usually champions this in an organization? Would be head of product or yeah. head of strategy or the CEO? Like Who usually is the one that takes ownership to start and run this process? Yep. And, and we've seen teams do it. It's either head of product, of course, uh, it can be head of marketing and even head of... And the reason that, of course, product marketing and sales are the essence of any company. I mean, that's where you're creating customer value. Everything else is really expense <laughs> because you're, you know, it's uh, operating, but that's really the value creation at a company, right? Is the product team that then hands it over to the market team, the market team then gets the sales team to sell it, you know, depending on the market. But the that's the real crux of it. And ultimately, it is an executive level decision because it is about that investment in your roadmap. And even bigger companies you know, are effectively a big venture capital firm. They're allocating resources to teams like you. You actually had an example where you, know, you really were a startup within a company. And so even though you didn't go outside for venture funding and you weren't a separate legal entity, you were competing for budget with inside your company. And for in sure. bigger companies, you know, teams are competing for budget at all. You know, give me the money, right? Hand it over here because I've got this great project. And that's what Jobs Be Done can be very helpful with that, help teams get more funding because it's a justification for why the investment in the product roadmap is going to turn into revenue. And and so if you want to get started with it, that's the 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 best thing. And you know we have a ton of resources on our site. We have a whole series of videos. We have a free course too. People can sign up for and just take the course. It takes you through sixteen different lessons about how to do every part of this. We help teams on training and we do workshops as well and all that. So you know anybody can reach us and we're we're happy to help at whatever stage you are at. We have had companies come to us where they already know jobs we've done pretty well and they're just using our tool because they've they already understand their customers. And then I think the next part of the research is really, if you, you want to do original primary research, that's fine. Uh, you might already have research. Yeah. And what you can do is really organize that research in a way that says, okay, we're going to understand our customer through this lens of the goal they're trying to achieve, the job they're trying to get done. And then from there, that's when you start to get into the quantitative analysis because you want to size the market and you want to size segments. You want to analyze your competitors. And a lot of this work is act, what's actually pretty interesting is before you even have any product ideas. And sometimes, you know, we like to joke that our competitive advantage is we have no ideas <laughs> because we're not trying to create the ideas first. You want to understand your customer's problems first and then come up with the ideas. And you know, Isar, as you mentioned, true, it, it is totally true. You do not want your customers coming up with your ideas. They, they, they don't have any idea about the latest machine learning or AI technology or you know, whatever whiz bang gizmo or widget that's out there. 
that's not their role. It's, you know, we use the example of cooks, you know, you could ask cooks, you know, a million questions. They're never going to come up with a microwave, right? I, yeah. I still, I, I have no idea what a microwave is. It's like this little <laughs> nuclear reactor in my house, right? But they could absolutely tell, a cook could tell you everything about how they struggle to prepare food. Yeah, and that's yeah. what you want to look at because it's obviously the job they're trying to get done. So that that really helps you then do all of this work to get your team aligned on what the product strategy is. And that's where the product strategy is simply understanding which job you're going to target for your customer and where they struggle the most. And then once you have that, you can then start to evaluate all the product ideas you have in your roadmap. You can create new ideas if you need to. You might need a new platform. You might say, wow, you know what? We cannot find a song for a mood faster with a MP3 player. You know, that's a good example on the iPod market, you know, because Zune made that mistake. Microsoft made that mistake thinking, oh, we're just going to create something that's just like an iPod and we'll take share. Well, it didn't create any value. And yep. you've got to focus on how you're going to create customer value. And in Jobs to Be Done, the way that we define value is very simple. It's getting the job done faster and more accurately. And in every single market, people are busy. Your know, customers are extremely busy. They do not want to use your product. They want your product to help them get the job done so they can yeah. get back to the other stuff they have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No one wants to spend time with your product. Now, the exceptions are if you're, you know, writing a screenplay or, you know, composing a song, you know, you might want to spend time doing it. But in 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 an enormous number of markets where Jobs Done is effective, you want to get the job done as fast and accurately as possible. So, quick question, and I'm sure again, since you provide this to a lot of different companies, what you know, most startups, and I've been to, I've championed a few, and I worked with many others, and a lot of my friends are startup people, you already have an idea on what you want to do. That's kind of like the dream that made you quit your job and chase this craziness of being an entrepreneur and starting a business and so on. And you're telling me, stop, forget about the great idea that you, for it, you put your company, your previous company at risk, your family at whatever situation that you're away and, and financial stress. And stop that and actually go back five steps and see if your idea even makes sense. How do you start that conversation internally, like with yourself? As, and again, I'm sure you're having this conversation with other people. Telling you, no, no, no. I understand your process. I'm going to do this. Just tell me how do I get there. And you're actually telling them, no, don't do this because this may not get you. How do you even start that process of stopping what you're doing right now? Yeah, it's, it's really hard for entrepreneurs. So there's a lot of reasons, and we work with startups. So and and I've run startups and started startups. So you know we we love entrepreneurs and startups. So that's great. I would say there's different types of entrepreneurs. There are the entrepreneurs who have a big idea. Their widget is going to be the greatest thing in the world, and people just don't know they need the widget yet. That is usually a huge mistake, <laughs> and that's usually about someone's ego, and. That's okay, you know. Maybe they're going to be successful, but who knows, right? It's just it's a it's the it's a game of roulette, right? Maybe, but most the vast vast majority of times startups fail. You know, the, the numbers for startups are just dismal. So, and and we usually don't work well with those entrepreneurs because, frankly, no one wants to hear their baby's ugly, right? Yeah. And we're like, and when they come and say, "Hey, we've got a widget idea for a widget," we're like, "Okay, maybe." Who knows? Like, but I wouldn't make investment decisions on who knows and guessing. Yes. But the most successful entrepreneurs, in our view, 
are not risk takers. And this is one of the you know Silicon Valley kind of myths of the swashbuckling risk taker. No one wants to take risk. Yeah. The best entrepreneurs are risk mitigators. And Isar, your example actually of being an entrepreneur inside a corporation is is very is a great example of successful entrepreneurship because you spent all the time saying, "Wait, we're going to mitigate all the risk." And the number one risk certainly today for entrepreneurs and startups is market risk because there's you know I'm old enough you know I it was, it was a lot of technology risk back in the you know late <laughs> 90s building a company I, I as an entrepreneur sat there in the colo facility screwing servers into you know a Iraq and hoping that it all worked when we turned it on now you just fire up a line of AWS code and you got a server going right yeah. technology risk is very very low unless you're trying to do something like create an mRNA vaccine or you know cure cancer yeah, yeah, yeah. Fly, but, fly to the moon yeah stuff like yeah. that yeah, yeah, that stuff is just that that's but that's R and D investment. That's not, you know, go to market. So so but the best entrepreneurs really mitigate all the risks in the market because they they really listen to customers. And a lot of times they've been customers, right? They they have been the customer and they're like, I had this problem and I pounded my head against the table and I cannot take it anymore. I think yeah. that's true of Zoom. I think the founder of Zoom was, you know, he, he started Zoom because he was you know, really frustrated with WebEx or something. Yeah, I think yeah, he was yeah. at, he might've been at Cisco with WebEx, but you know, this happens a lot. The entrepreneur is a customer and yes. they're just building a product for, and I think those are, those are great risk mitigators. So if you want to be an entrepreneur and be successful, be a risk mitigator. And this is Job Sudan is a way to mitigate risk of really understanding your customers and their problems. Okay. So I, I think I understand that part. So now let's say I want to embark on the journey. You already mentioned the first two steps, right? You said really, really understand the problem. That was step one. And step two was, I don't remember what step two it was, which is pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Well, no, what I would say, the first thing is understand the problem is really understand the customer's job. Now, we have a huge database of jobs too. So if people are looking to get started with this, because sometimes it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to figure out what your customer's job is. There's sure. Clay Christensen calls it the level of abstraction, right? Ultimately, the job you're trying to do is live a happy life, <laughs> you know. But that's that's kind of sure. too high level. Yes. And then you don't want to be so small that you're looking at like parking the vehicle, right? And and there's so you've got to get that level of abstraction right, and that can be hard to do. We we have a lot of experience in it. We have a huge database, so we can help people get started with that. The next thing is really quantitatively defining the size of that market. And that's why this is such an incredibly important piece because comp very, very successful people in companies define markets incorrectly. Now, I'll give you a great example. Lizune, right? Microsoft is very traditional. If you go to kind of MBA textbook definition of a market, a mar the size of the market is the price of the product times the number of buyers, yeah. right? That yeah. seems to make sense. How big, yeah. how many of these things can you sell? Well, Apple had sold 200 million iPods at 150 bucks a piece. So logically, that's a $30 billion market. Now, that's a huge market, even for Microsoft. Yeah. So they then said, well, if we invest $500 million building the Zune, we're going to take at least 10% share because we're Microsoft. We got distribution, we got a billion customers, we got a platform we can connect to, we got marketing, engineering, sales, capital, blah, blah, blah. It was a huge, they lost all their money. And the reason, of course, is that there is no such thing as an iPod market. The iPod market literally is $0. It went from $30 billion to zero. I mean, effectively zero, right? Maybe someone buys yeah, an MP3 player. 
but Apple doesn't ship iPods anymore. So the and the reason is the market didn't go away. The product went away. The market, people are still creating a mood with music, maybe even more now than ever before. Probably. You know, certainly during COVID, I assume. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, you know, now the ease of it, you just say, hey, Alexa, play this or Siri yeah, or whatever, and just play exactly. it. Exactly. The ease of access is, is literally instantaneous. Exist. Yeah. Yeah. My like 15 year old self would be amazed that I could walk around with a device and literally any place on planet Earth, I can listen to any song I want to in the world. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But that is the true market. So you want to understand your customer's job and their willingness to pay to get the job done. That's the key because that is how much opportunity there is for revenue and profitability growth and equity value creation in the market. It has nothing to do with the current product. So that's the how, next critical step. Is how do you find out? Yeah. And there's all sorts of techniques people? to do this. Okay. You know, yeah. And, and you, essentially, you are asking people about their willingness to pay to get the job done. And there's techniques to do this because you're trying to get a statistically significant sample. And, you know, and there's ways to ask it in multiple ways. You can draw a regression curve and plot the area into the curve and all. You know, we don't have to get into the technical details. If people really want to get into that, they can uh, find out more at our site. But, but once you do that as a process, now you can start to look at your competitors and start to say, okay, why are why is there an opportunity to beat Apple and Google Maps? And there actually there is this. I love this example because Apple and Google have a hundred percent share in that market, right? Effectively, and the products are free. Well, so if you looked at that, if you went to your board and said, "Hey, I have a great idea. We're going to compete with Apple and Google Maps," they'd probably shoot you, right? Like, oh, there's no way we're doing that. That's a zero dollar market, right? Literally, by the traditional definition, the price of the product is zero. So times a billion users is still zero. <laughs> now you could try and sell advertising and use an alternative model, but but given that you're trying to sell a product into a market, that would seem like a terrible idea. And yet, there is a very big opportunity for a very large segment of customers in that market who struggle to use Apple and Google and Maps to get to destinations on time. And the reason they struggle is because they make frequent and unfamiliar stops. So they're trying to optimize the sequence of stops every day. And it's hard to do because you do it with Apple and Google Maps. It's very manual. This is it's actually known as the traveling salesman problem. So that, that market opportunity exists. It's big. <laughs> And you could define it this way. So once you understand that, now you can look at Apple and Google, your big competitors, whoever your competitors are, and say, okay, why are they slow and inaccurate? And if you understand the job and you recognize that one of the needs is to determine the optimal sequence of stops, now when you analyze your competitors, it's very easy to see why they're slow and inaccurate. Because if you had five busy stops in a day in a city you've never been in, and you don't know the traffic patterns, you don't know the routes, you don't know... If there's a ball game, right when you're, you know, trying to get across town, you know, all sorts of variables, you're likely to struggle to stay on time, and even just determining the optimal sequence that you're supposed to go to these different stops in is really, really hard. Because if you did it with Apple and Google Maps, you'd have to like enter the first one, enter the second one, then enter the third one, see if going to the first, or the third was better, and then you every possible combination of stops, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it would take you, you know, a long time, you know, if you could do it at all. So. A solution to do that would be I push a button and it does it for me, right? Just using uh, algorithms that are available today and a lot of information. So that's that's the critical next step is then analyzing your competitor. And once you do that, now you can start to talk about ideas because now you can say, is this a good idea? And once you have the idea, you, the key is that you can assess whether or not it's a good idea using speed and accuracy. 
is it really going to take your customer fewer, less time to, to get the job done? And is it more accurate? And those two metrics, those are incredibly important because they're measurable. So even before you write one line of code or invest in any development or start your manufacturing, you can assess the customer value you're going to deliver using your customer's job. And once you do that, then you can prioritize your roadmap based on where they struggle. You can build go-to-marketing messages that resonate with them because you're talking about getting the job done faster and more accurately. And that leads to success. It, you follow your customer to success. Jay, I find this absolutely brilliant. And I want to try to summarize kind of like the steps in my head, how I understand them. And you can correct me whenever I get this wrong. So you're saying the first step is figure out what is the real job? What is it that the customer is trying to do? Not how they're trying to do it, not what tools they're using, but what is it that they're trying to do? Step number two is to understand how many people actually have that need. Basically, what you said, the, the, the size of the market of people who have that job that they need to complete. But then this is the coolest part, I think, of all of it. Now you're saying, okay, now, and you said you do this at a very, very granular level, right? You know exactly all the little bits and pieces of the job. Now you overlay on top of that what existing solutions provide. And you're looking for the gaps. You're looking for the holes that the current solutions are not giving a good, adequate, efficient, cost-effective, whatever you call it, answer to those bits and pieces of the broader job, which then you're going to say, okay, let's say I've identified them. How quickly can I solve for that? How much people will be willing to pay for this solution? And hence, does it make sense to develop a product that closes these gaps that exist today, and will people pay me enough for the money it will take me to get there? Is that a good summary of all of it? That's great. Perfect. Yes, that's absolutely. absolutely. That means you're yeah. a great lecturer because I'm not that <laughs> smart usually. <laughs> <laughs> you're an excellent student. <laughs> so fascinating. It's really, really brilliant. How long does the process usually take? Because even this, I'm like, okay, I want to build a product, competitive market. And, and you said you work with some pretty big players. They don't have time to sit around and say, oh, I'm, yeah, it will take me two years. I'll figure it out because then their, then their competition is going to do it and they're going to be left behind. How long yeah. does it usually take to get this right? Yeah, that's great. So um, the slow parts of the process are the upfront ones of figuring out what your customer's job is, all the steps and needs. And that's why we created our database. It can speed that up tremendously. And then this second part of it, running the quantitative surveys and doing the analysis, it, it kind of depends on the market. If you're targeting you know, parents or drivers you know, or just consumers and consumer markets, there's, there's, it's really easy to, to set out a survey and get quantitative analysis. And, and the way that we do the quantitative analysis, we now are building that into our tool to make that even faster because you know it can be slow to have to get all this data take it in a csv file you know put it in a statistical analysis package and all that so yeah. so we're building that into our application to make it much faster to get the answer from there i would say and and so it really you can you can do a huge chunk of this in weeks if you're okay. if you're really dedicated if you have a team that's you know dedicated to doing this you can get this done very very quickly Relatively, it doesn't take years. And, and the beauty of this also is that, remember, your customer's job never changes. So once you have done this work, it's not like you have to wake up next quarter and be like, whoa, 
we were focused on uh, blockchain. Now we must focus on machine learning and now AI because all these new technologies are coming. Like those yeah. things change all the time. But your customer's job is the same. Getting to a destination time 100 years ago was exactly the same as getting to a destination on time 100 years. I guarantee you that's not changing. Yeah. So that's really one of the powerful things is the uh, until the point beam me, uh, beam me up scotty can actually work and then this you can get there like in three seconds well that's that's a solution <laughs> and true, that true. would get you to the destination on time immediately and instantaneously <laughs> and you'd never be late and that that was a great solution the job is still the same true. that's just a very very good way of of doing it in I fact it's just example. it's just like pandora and spotify and actually this is a key point is the reason you don't want to do your competitors analysis looking at your competitors features because your customers want zero features. <laughs> True. The ultimate product they want is I push a button and the job's done, right? Yes. So that's exactly what Pandora was. And, and I love this example because Pandora, r- right when the Zoom launched, Pandora was signing up 90,000 people every day. Wow. Because to, what did you have to do to create a mood with music? Well, if you looked at what did it take with an iPod? Well, you had to go to iTunes, you had to search around, you had to find the song, you had to test it, then you had to buy it, then you had to download it, then you had to connect your iPod, and then you had to create it in a playlist. And then, you know, when you're on the go, you had to find the right playlist of your collection of playlists. So you're talking literally minutes, potentially hours, and potentially wildly inaccurate because, you know, famously, Apple's algorithms weren't great (laughs) in recommending (laughs) music. But Pandora had incredibly good algorithms, right? If you typed in Miles Davis or the Indigo Girls or whoever you liked, it put you in the mood because its algorithm said, hey, you might also like these other artists. And all you had to do as a user is literally push play. That was it. No searching, no, you know, random. And even now you can see Spotify is doing this. They've got moods. You can go into Spotify and be like, I'm in a workout mood or I'm in a romantic mood or I'm relaxing mood or I'm stressed out or, you know, whatever mood you're in. It's like, here's some music for that mood. Yeah. So, um, and that, that's true of every market. Every market evolves to where getting the job done for the customer is very simple. You know, they're not looking for more complexity. Everybody lives these stressed out, anxious, complex lives already. You know, anything you can do to help alleviate that is, is incredibly valuable. So, yeah. So, uh, take the approach that you're trying to get the job done as fast and accurately as possible for your customer. I love it. I think this is a great place to stop a conversation about that because really that's the ultimate goal is if you can get to click a button, the job is done. That's the ultimate outcome. That's the beam me up Scotty of getting on time to different that's places. Right. That's uh, right. I know you're a tech guy. I know you live you know, in and around Silicon Valley. I have to ask you about gadgets and tools and apps and stuff that you use that makes your life, your business easier so that you can recommend to other people. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. So I'll answer the first thing about gadgets um, a little bit differently is I, cause we, because we all have so many gadgets and widgets and everything. One of the things that I've done recently that I just feel has just made me so much more productive is I've just turned off every notification. So it's, it's almost like an inverse gadget. It's like, well, yeah. we've got so many gadgets and now, you know, we're looking at our computers and our tablets and then our phone and, and our watches, and they're all sending notifications in every app. When you install it now, it's like, Hey, we're going to send you notifications. And yeah. I, I immediately go through the list. I turn off everything. It, the only notification I have are like the meeting. <laughs> you know, I have to be, so, be somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first recommendation to anybody out there is like, turn off all your notifications. So <laughs> great book out there called Indistractable from being 
distracted, not from destruction. So it's misspelled. And I know you love misspelling stuff. So I'm sure you're going to. <laughs> so indistractable, it talks exactly about this. How do you win your life back by turning off all the noise around you? And that's the number one recommendation they have is turn off all your notifications on that's great on all the different things. So you're already uh, one step ahead of most of us, I think. I'm definitely going to read that. That's great. <laughs> and then one other thing I would say that I do like as a, as a technology, it's called Otter, otter.ai and it's a mm-hmm. transcription service. And one of the things that can help companies too, when they're trying to do this is you're, you're trying to talk to your customers and, you know, jobs done is a language. So if you can talk to them, you know, you can frantically take notes of course. But if you can transcribe, not just record the video or the audio, but also transcribe it in text, you really get, that's a nice way to start to understand and document your customers. So I, I would recommend Otter as well as a transcription service. Perfect. Another one that I can mention that we use for more or less everything we do in the company and we push it to the limit, but it's an amazing tool is called Descript.io. Sorry, Descript.com. I think they were IO a while back and now they're Descript.com. Again, very, very capable service that uh, what they do in addition, and it's probably less relevant to your industry and your use, but in addition to being able to transcribe things very accurately, you can then change the text file, copy, paste, move stuff around, and it actually edits the audio and the video that came with it. Oh, that's fantastic. You can create new videos and new audio files from existing ones by literally copying and pasting text. And so we do all of our production using this tool, but I agree with you that a good transcription tool is absolutely, is absolutely amazing. Another one that I will mention that I think you would really, really like is called uh, fireflies. I think they're .ai or .io. And what it is, is it's a, it's an AI piece of software that you can add to meetings as an invitee. So every time you want it transcribed, it, you just add it to the meeting. It shows up in zoom on somebody that doesn't have a video and audio and or in any other platform that you do your meetings, and it directly connects it to your CRM based on the email address of the person you're talking to. So literally, you get a transcription of the call already in your CRM attached to the right person without doing anything, without paying for somebody to write the notes of the thing. You just have it already tagged in the right place. So just another idea for the same kind of That's great. Great. Jay, this was absolutely fascinating and Really, really, really in depth. I absolutely love all the ideas that you brought here. How do people find you? How do people find, thrive, connect with you, and so on? Yeah, well, thanks, Isar. It's been great being here. You can find us at thrv.com. That's Thrive Without the Vowels. And all of our resources there, our cheat sheet, our ebook, we have a bunch of videos, we have a whole course online. So if anybody is interested in learning more about this, our site has a, a ton of resources. Amazing. And you personally, if people want to connect with you, LinkedIn, like what's the, what's the best place? Yeah, I'm Jay Haynes. I'm very easy to find. If you Google me and I'm on LinkedIn is Jay Haynes, J-A-Y-H-A-Y-N-E-S. Jay, this was fantastic. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us. Isar, thanks for having me. Brilliant, right? Absolutely, totally brilliant. I truly, personally, complete bought in into this concept. And I really love the way that Jay was able to describe it. If you are like me and you can really geek out about company processes and how processes can help you scale your business, I've done multiple episodes about this with multiple guests, but there's one I personally really, really like. It's called A Successful Serial Entrepreneur Shares Her Secret Business Process. It's episode 33 with Cheryl Herrick, 
really fascinating, really fun interview that again, if you like processes and you want to learn more about how to set it up properly and get the buy-in from your employees to be a part of it, you should check it out. And until next time, have an amazing week. Your business growth is my number one priority in this podcast. To do that, I want to bring the biggest names that I can and get you practical tips as frequently as possible. And you can help. Visit Apple Podcasts right now, subscribe, download, rate, and review the podcast, and I would really appreciate it. And if you want my number one tip for business growth acceleration, visit growthaccelerator.biz right now. Yeah.